We're going to kind of jump around through a few different passages of Scripture this morning just to kind of get get an overview of the last few hours of Jesus' life. We will be in Mark this morning, Mark chapter 14. And probably into chapter 15 too. Mark chapter 14. We will begin in verse 32. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you that we have reason to come here this morning, that we have reason to celebrate, that we have reason to smile, that we have reason to hope, that we have reason to know there's something better for us, dear Lord, than what this world has to offer. And God, we thank you this morning for Jesus Christ that gives us that reason to celebrate and to have that joy. And God, I pray that as I preach and teach your word this morning, that you would help me to do so in a way that's going to bring glory to you. I pray that the Holy Spirit is working among our hearts right now, dear Lord. That you you know just what we need to hear. And God, I pray that through your word today, that we would hide it away in our heart, dear Lord. That it would guide us on the right path. That it would give us the encouragement that we need today. Maybe the correction that we need today, dear Lord. Whatever it may be, God, I pray that your word speaks to us. I pray that you help me to preach it and teach it in a way that's going to be true to it, dear Lord. That's going to put all the focus on Jesus. I pray that you help me not to ramble on. I pray that you take away any pride in my life, dear Lord. I pray that you hide me behind the cross. And I pray, God, that when I open my mouth at the end of this prayer, dear Lord, that the Holy Spirit would speak into the ears and to the hearts of each one of us here. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about the Lord's Supper, the, the, the last Lord's Supper that, the, that He had with the, uh, with the apostles as they uh, ate the Passover meal. And Jesus was preparing them for what was about to take place. Now, they were eating the Passover meal in remembrance of what had taken place uh, as the Israelites had been uh, delivered from Egypt hundreds of years before. Uh, They were remembering that. That's why they eat the Passover meal every year. They were to get together and they were to eat that meal. And Jesus was doing that with his apostles as all of the other good Jews would have been doing in remembrance of the time that they put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost and God passed over them and ultimately delivered them from the hand of their enemies in the Egyptians. And every year, the Israelites, the Jewish people, would get together and they would have Passover. They would observe this meal. And last week, we talked about the significance of that. That as they ate the bread and drank the wine, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new covenant. No longer when you eat of this meal will you look back to the past and think of what happened when you were delivered from Israel, or excuse me, delivered from Egypt. But from now on, I'm making a new covenant. When you eat this meal, you do this in remembrance of me. When you eat the bread, you eat it and you know that my body was broken for you. When you drink of the fruit of the vine, you drink it knowing that it represents my blood that was shed for you. Now, this was not too long before the time that Jesus was about to give his life on a cross. And even at this point, the apostles didn't quite understand 
Even though Jesus had told them, even though they should have known what was going on, they didn't quite understand what was about to take place. And here, not too long after Jesus had this meal with his disciples, he is preparing and getting ready for his mission that he must carry out. Now we talked about that several weeks back as we uh, got into the book of Mark and we were talking about Jesus was a man on mission. He knew what his mission was. He knew his mission was to go and to preach and teach the good news, that is the gospel. He said that at the beginning of Mark, I believe verse 15, where he says, the time is now fulfilled. I have come to preach the good news. I have come to do the work. And Jesus started that from the beginning of his ministry. And all throughout his ministry, he was going about, he was preparing the people, he was letting the people know what was about to come. He was getting them ready. He was giving us an example to live by. Now, when we talk about the gospel, we usually think in terms of Jesus' death and resurrection. And while that is the most beautiful part of the gospel, I think that we need not limit the gospel to that. I think everything that Jesus preached while he was on this earth is part of the message. It's part of the gospel. The things that he did, the examples that he has given us are all part of that gospel message and it comes to its most beautiful point at his sacrifice and his shedding of his blood and his death on the cross. Now Jesus had done what he was called to do. He had fulfilled that mission that we read about in the beginning of Mark. He had fulfilled that mission for about three years, and now that mission was getting ready to come to its climax. It was getting ready to come to the point where the rubber was really going to meet the road. Now Jesus had faced much opposition up until this point. There were many people who hated Jesus up until this point. But here is where things were about to get really difficult for Jesus. Here is where he was going to have to stand firm to do what his father had sent him to do. And Jesus knew this was coming. This was not a surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew this was coming. He knew it was coming when he was born. When he left heaven to come to this old earth, Jesus knew what his purpose was. Isn't that a beautiful thing that Jesus knew what was about to await him by being nailed to a cross and he still chose to come. He still chose to preach. He still chose to give us an example. And here as the hour was fast approaching, he was not turning away from his mission but he was going strong. He was full speed ahead to do the Father's will. And after Jesus had the Passover meal with the disciples, after he had told them, look, remember what's about to happen, and in years to come, for all those that you lead to Christ, all those that you lead to me for years to come, all of us in this room today who are Christians, we partake of that Passover meal, looking back not to God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, but we look to our deliverance from sin through Jesus Christ. And he had told them, I'm making a new covenant, and Jesus was that new covenant. He was our high priest, and he was about to go on his way to fulfill his mission. And before, he, uh, before the hours came that he was supposed to be crucified, we see what happens here in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. When they came to a place named Gethsemane, And he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. Then he said to them, 
My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Now here we get a glimpse into exactly what Jesus was going through. Now some would say, well, Jesus was fully God. He didn't experience any pain. He just had to go through the motions. He had to give his life. But, but Jesus didn't struggle with this. He, it really wasn't a big deal for him. Some would say that. But I would say if they say that, they hadn't read the scripture close enough. Because here we see that Jesus was in anguish. He was terrified at what was about to take place. He was about to be beaten. He was about to be mocked. He was about to be nailed to a piece of wood. And Jesus knew what was awaiting him. And his soul, it was swallowed up in grief. It says here, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. He was deeply distressed. Can you imagine what Jesus had to go through? No, you can't. I'll tell you. you can't. We can't possibly imagine what Jesus had to go through. The burden that Jesus felt. Now here was Jesus full of love who came to fulfill this mission because he loved you and I, even though we are sinners, even though we do all the horrible things we do. He came knowing what he had to do. And as the moment finally approached, there Jesus had the weight of the entire world on his shoulders. For all of humanity that had ever breathed a breath up until his life and all of humanity that would breathe a breath after his life, Jesus Christ had the burden, had the weight of all of our sins, of our eternal future was in his hands. All of the pain and agony was going through his mind. Everything that he was going to have to experience was going through his mind. There was probably a, a, a battle that was raging. Whoa, this is going to be painful. This is going to hurt. This is going to be excruciating. I don't know if I can go through with this. And then on the other side, but I love these people so much. I love him. I love her. I know they sin. I know they do this. But I love them. I don't want to see them suffer. I don't want to see them separated from me for all of eternity. And here was Jesus in the agony of what was going on in his mind as he was struggling with what he was going through. And Jesus had a choice to make. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. I believe that Jesus could have, could have said, I'm done. I believe that Jesus could have escaped. I believe that Jesus could have said, you know what? I'm all powerful. I don't have to stay here for this. I thought it was a good idea, but you know what? On second thought, I can't follow through with it. Now, I believe Jesus could have done that, but you know what? The reason why we're here today is because he didn't do that. It's because he was, as he was weighing the pain and the suffering that he would go through and weighing his love for you, guess which one won out? His love for you and I won out. It won out over his own security, over his own, over his own safety, over his own comfort. His love for you and I trumped all of those things. There was no amount of suffering in this world that he, that he, that he thought was too much to go through for you and I, now that's beautiful stuff right there. That is, that, is the, that is the most beautiful message you'll ever hear in your life. I'm telling you right now, you'll never hear anything more beautiful than there's a man in Jesus Christ who was God, who came to this earth, who gave his life and was willing to suffer whatever it took so that you may be forgiven. Now that's good news right there. We could stop and say a prayer right there and be done. But the story doesn't stop there. Jesus says this prayer to the Father and Jesus continues on. Let's read a little further in verse 35. Then he went a little farther, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. 
Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now here we see again what Jesus was going through. This was a real struggle. This was a real burden that was placed on Jesus. Even in the hours leading up to his death here, he's saying, Father, God, I know that you can do all things. I know that everything is possible. Father, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way to, to save the people of the world? Is there any other way for sins to be covered and to be forgiven? Is there any other way, Father? But if there's not, if there's not, then, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Now that's good stuff right there. So here was Jesus pouring his heart out to the apostles, telling, uh, telling them to, to wait while he prayed. Here was Jesus. We see the anguish and the agony that he was going through. And here he's pouring his heart out to the Father saying, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. That is, if there's any way to keep me off the cross, if there's any way for there to be forgiveness of sins apart from me giving my life and suffering, God, let it be. But not my will be done, Father but your will be done. And after Jesus prayed that prayer, it wasn't too long after that till his betrayer arrived. There was Judas with the soldiers who were coming to arrest Jesus, who were coming to bring Jesus in, even though he had done no wrong. Even though he was completely faultless, here was Jesus about to be arrested and was about to be taken to stand trial before those who were going to question who he was and what he was doing. And so as the soldiers come, they took Jesus away and they brought him back before the religious leaders, the religious officials, the, uh, the councilmen that were there that were, that were going to make ruling on him. And there Jesus stood, and what if we can call it that, a trial, a mock trial at best, in which they begin to make all these accusations against Jesus and they begin to lie against Jesus. But there was no fault they could find with Jesus. And Mark chapter 14 Verse 55. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could find none. Now, isn't that an interesting verse right there? All of these people who were in charge, these religious leaders, the people of the Sanhedrin, these chief priests, the ones that the people would have looked up to, they had Jesus brought in. They had wanted to kill him. We see that all throughout the text before, throughout his ministry. They wanted him gone. They wanted him put to death. They, he was messing up their plans. He was messing up their agenda. He was calling them out for their sinfulness. He wanted them put to death. And so here, by making a deal with Judas, they found the times when the crowds would not be around. They go to Jesus right after he finishes praying. They arrest him. They bring him back to stand trial. And as he stands before these leaders, and they're trying, away, uh, trying to find a way to put him to death, it says that they could find nothing against him. They could find no reason to put him to death. You know why they could find no reason to put him to death? Because Jesus was completely without fault. Jesus had done no wrong. And 33 years, give or take a few months, of Jesus' life, Jesus had sinned not one time. He had done no wrong against God the Father. He had done no wrong against any person in this world. He had loved those who he had encountered. He had spoke truth to those he had encountered. He had showed compassion to those he had encountered. He had fed 
thousands by miracles. He had associated with everyone, both the religious and the sinners. He had, he had done everything that you could ever want anyone to do. He had been faithful to preach and teach the word. He had gone from place to place, healing the people that he came in contact with. All the things that you would want in someone, Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those things. There was no fault to be found in him. And even now, as he was arrested and brought before these who were about to, to charge him, as they were looking for a way to charge him to put him to death, they could find no reason to put him to death. They could find no reason against Jesus Christ. They could find no reason not to accept Jesus Christ other than the fact that they just did not want to follow him. They didn't want to believe what he had to say. They wanted to reject him and it didn't matter what he had done. Their minds were already made up because they could not find any fault with Jesus Christ. Why did they reject Jesus Christ? I don't know the answer to that. It seems like foolishness. Well, let me ask you another question. Why do you reject Jesus Christ? Perhaps there are some of you in this room today. Why are you rejecting Jesus Christ? What fault have you found with Jesus? I can tell you right now, there is none. Now you may be saying, but you don't know. You don't know this. You don't know that. I do know. I know God's Word because I've read it. I'm not saying that I'm perfect in God's Word or that I'm the great scholar, but I know the truth of God's Word. I know who Jesus is. And I know there is no fault in Jesus. There is none. You can find no fault against Jesus. So if you've rejected Him, if you've not accepted Him as Lord and Savior, why not? What fault have you found with Jesus? Now, a lot of times people find fault, but it's not with Jesus. A lot of times people find fault with other church people, people that profess to be Christians. I don't want nothing to do with Jesus because look at how they're acting. Look at what they're saying. Look at what they're doing. Bunch of hypocrites. I see them in church. I see their car when I pass by on Sunday. And I see them the rest of the week. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like their Jesus. Well, you know what you found fault with there? You haven't found fault with Jesus. You found fault with Christians. Now, even, even us good Christians, if there are any of us, even still there's plenty of fault to be found with us. And for a lot of people, they would reject Jesus because they have fault with us. But why are you rejecting Jesus? Because the fault is not with Jesus. The fault may very well indeed be with those of us who profess to be Christians, some who may genuinely be and some who may not. But the fault is not with Jesus. The fault is with us. There is no fault with Jesus. There is no wrong in Jesus. And I beg you today, if you're rejecting Jesus because of something someone else has done, don't do it. I beg you today, don't look to other people to see who Jesus is. Look to Jesus to see who Jesus is. Look to God's Word to see who Jesus is. And I promise you, I guarantee you, you will find no fault. I promise you, you will not find anything in God's Word that Jesus did or Jesus said that will let you down. 
You may be basing your rejection of Jesus based on what you think of Jesus, what you've heard of Jesus, what you've seen other people do when they say they're following the example of Jesus. But if you never have read God's Word, if you've never seen Jesus for yourself in the pages of Scripture, you are not rejecting Jesus because of what He has done. You're rejecting Jesus because of what others have done. And you're no better than these ones that Jesus was standing before here. They brought Jesus. They wanted to put Him to death. They wanted to do away with Him. They wanted to get Him out of their life and they could not find fault with Him. And so they said, I don't care if He's perfect. I don't care if He's the Son of God. I don't care what He said. I don't care what He has done. I don't want anything to do with Him and I'll reject Him. And that's exactly what they did. We can't find any fault with Him, but we don't care. We don't want anything to do with Him. Now listen. I don't want anybody in this room to be that person. I don't know anybody's heart. But some of you may be thinking that very thing. You may be just like these very people that Jesus was standing before then, and I'm going to tell you what, Jesus is here before you now. And some of you are saying, I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't care what you say. I don't care if you tell me today that He died on the cross. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I'm going to reject Him. Now there may be some of you in this room that are saying that, but I pray that there are not. And I pray that if you are here and you're saying that today in your heart, I pray that if for whatever reason you've rejected Jesus Christ, I pray that today that you would not look to anybody else, that you would not look to this church, that you would look nowhere other than the words of God's Word, that you would read about Jesus Christ, that you would see who He is and what He is and what He has done. And you know what? He did it for you. He did it for each and every one of us. Even the one who was begrudgingly saying, I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. I don't want anything to do with you. I want you out of my life. I want you gone. And that's exactly what these people said. And you know what Jesus said before he died on the cross as he was hanging there with nails in his hands and nails in his feet. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I believe that Jesus would say the same thing to you today if you're rejecting him. Don't hate Jesus. Jesus has done nothing to be hated for. You may have troubles in your life. There may be bad things going on. There may be people who have mistreated you, people in the church who have mistreated you. There may be lots of things that has taken place in your life, but I'll tell you what, those things are not Jesus. Those people who are mistreating you, those people who are hating you, those people who are gossiping about you, those people who are being hypocrites, those people are not Jesus. Now look, if you're looking for church people to be perfect before you come to the Lord, then guess what? You're going to die and go to hell. Because us church people will never be perfect. But Jesus is perfect. He was perfect from the time He was born on this earth. He was perfect before for all eternity. And He's going to be perfect forever after for all eternity. If you're looking for reason against Jesus, there is no reason against Jesus. There is no fault against Jesus. And these very leaders that Jesus was standing before could find no fault with him. But they were determined that they didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They didn't want to have anything to do with his message. And there Jesus, as he stood before them and they asked him questions, he refused to answer. Uh, people would come and they would give false testimony against him. The scripture says, and even their testimonies didn't agree with one another. And all of these people were saying all of these things and here was Jesus. He didn't say much. Jesus wasn't a man that was showing out. You know, it takes a real man to be quiet and not fight back. You know that? 
That's, that's countercultural. That's the exact opposite to what our culture would say. Our culture would say, you going to let somebody talk to you like that? You going to let him hit you and get away with that? If somebody punches you, you punch them back. If somebody gets in your face, you get in their face. That's what our culture would say. If you want to be a man, you got to stand up to people. But you know what God's Word says? God's Word says what a man really is. When they came against Jesus, when they got in His face, He didn't holler back at them. He didn't say very many words at all. Even Pilate uh, was amazed. Aren't you going to say anything? All of these things that are against you, don't, don't you have anything to say for yourself? And Jesus remained silent. And even as they begin to beat Jesus, even as they begin to mock Jesus, Jesus never fought back. And you know what? Jesus was more of a man than you and I will ever be. And he didn't do it by arguing back. He didn't do it by fighting back. You know how he became a man? By humbling himself. By being a servant to all. By giving his life for you and I. That's how Jesus became a man. And you know what? That's our example. If we want to show people what love is, then that's what we do. We want to show people what love is. When people come against us, we don't come back against them. When people harm us, we don't harm them back. When people hate us, we love them. That's what the gospel is. And Jesus carried that out from the time that he was on this earth to the time that he left this earth. Now that's the example we go by. And here was Jesus, who was fully God and who was fully man, the most manly man that ever walked this earth. And here he was, standing before these people, standing before Pilate. And the crowds begin to get enraged as the chief priests uh, priest begin to enrage them. And even Pilate was a little hesitant, but the people, uh, they were, they were, they were, there was no changing their mind. Their mind was made up. Pilate says, well, it's, it's the custom to release someone. Let me, let me release Barabbas to you. He's a bad guy. He's, he's a horrible guy. He's an evil, he's an evil man. Uh, let, let me re, excuse me. Let me release Jesus to you. And, 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 and Jesus can be the one that gets us free. But you know who the crowd chose instead of Jesus? Instead of the one who was faultless and perfect? Instead of the one who healed everybody? Instead of the one who fed everybody? Instead of the one who had compassion on everybody? Instead of the one who brought love to everybody? Do you know who the people choose when they had the choice? And they chose the evil, murderous Barabbas to be set free. Now that's pretty intense right there. And when you may hear that story and you may say, that's foolishness. That's idiocracy. How in the world could they do that? I would never do that. Maybe you could. Who's to say if we wouldn't have been there? Maybe we would have done the same thing. Maybe we would have been just as deceived then. And maybe some of you are just as deceived today. You see, because you have a similar choice to make. You don't have Jesus standing on one side of the stage and Barabbas on the other. Not in the flesh at least. But you do have a similar choice to make. That is, will you choose Jesus, who is perfect, who is love, who is forgiveness, who is grace, who is mercy, who wants to have compassion for you? Or will you choose sin? that will kill you, that will take your life, that will ruin your life, that will ruin your relationships, that will separate you from God for all of eternity. 
You may read this story and say it's foolishness that they didn't choose Jesus. But you know what I believe? I believe that people today would do the same thing because people today do the same thing. There are people in this world by the millions who would rather choose sin than choose Jesus. And there may be some of you in this room today that have made that same choice that I'm going to choose sin over a Savior. And the people said, look, we don't want Jesus. Let Barabbas go. And they begin to cry out, crucify him! Crucify him! The punishment that was set aside for the worst of the worst criminals. Not only was Jesus perfect, not only was he deserving of no punishment, but they saw to it that he got the worst punishment that he could possibly get. And so here was Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who was standing before the crowd, probably some of which were those who were following around before. Now were the ones uh, chanting and calling out, crucify him. Let's read a little further in Mark chapter 15 if you want to flip over. Mark chapter 15, verse 16. Mark 15, verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the courtyard, that is, headquarters, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! They kept hitting him on the head with a reed and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe, put his clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. After Jesus faced his mock trial and the people's mind was set and they were, uh, they were determined that they were going to crucify him, the soldiers began to mock him. They begin to mock who he was. Oh, you're the king of the Jews, and let us treat you like a king. You need to be adorned in a purple robe. And instead of giving him a crown, they, they fashioned together a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. And here was Jesus, the Son of God, who didn't have to suffer for a second had he chose not to. And you know what he did? He sit there. As they begin to mock him, as they begin to laugh at him, as they begin to beat him, Jesus Christ sit there and he took it. And you may be saying, I'd never do that. That makes it even more impressive that Jesus did it. It makes it that much more amazing that Jesus did it. Some of you may be saying, why in the world would somebody go through that if they didn't have to? Because He loved you. There is no other answer than that. That's as simple as it can be. Jesus did it because He loved you. He loved me. He loved the world. And that's why Jesus went through all of these things. And they beat him and mocked him, and there was Jesus being led away so that he could be crucified and having to carry his own cross. I can't even imagine. I don't know how big the cross would have been, how much the cross would have weighed, but can you imagine? And all that Jesus had gone through, and now you are toting this big old huge heavy piece of wood that you are having to drag behind you. Can you imagine what Jesus had to go through. And Jesus had already told his disciples that they needed to be able to carry their cross, but they probably didn't quite get that. Because keep in mind, when Jesus told them that, he had not been yet crucified. 
But now these disciples, his apostles, his followers were seeing. They probably no doubt recall the words when it talked about carrying your cross. Now we don't have to carry a physical cross in this world, although one day we may, Lord only knows. But when Jesus says that we have to carry our cross, we look to Jesus carrying his cross. And what did that mean? Well, it mean that Jesus humbled himself. And mean that he put someone else's needs before his. It means that he didn't use the power that he may have had. It means that he did something even though he didn't have to. He could have not carried the cross. He could have said, I'm not going to do it. What you going to do, kill me? He didn't do that, though. Instead, Jesus picked up his cross, and he fulfilled his crucifixion in every way that he could. He never shied away. He never, he never t told them to stop. He simply did everything that they were doing to fulfill everything that needed to be fulfilled. And they led him away, and they nailed him to a cross. And there, the Lord and Savior of the world hang, with nails in his hands, and nails in his feet, there Jesus Christ hung, and he bled and he died, and he took his last breath, and he gave his life for you and I. Now what fault can you find in Jesus Christ? That he loved people? That he had compassion for people? That he forgave people? That he treated all people equally? That he loved the rich, that he loved the poor, that he loved the sick, that he loved the well? What do you have against Jesus? That he was with the religious people, that he was with the sinners? There is no fault you can find with Jesus. Read God's Word. Maybe you never have. Maybe your whole life, everything you know about Jesus is what you've heard somebody else say. But have you ever read God's Word to see what it says? You want to read about Jesus? You read God's Word. Read the book of John. That's a good place to start. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Tell us all about Jesus. Tell us all about what love is. Gives us the example to go by. And lets us know, look, there is no way to the Father. There is no way to God. There is no forgiveness of sins except for the breaking of Christ's body and the shedding of Christ's blood. There is no fault with Jesus Christ. There is no fault. But there is lots of fault with you and I. Jesus Christ was perfect, but you and I are full of faults. That's why you and I need Him. Even though we may look good on the outside, boy, there's sin in our life. It's, it's woven all through us. We got several hundred washcloths in this week for the shoeboxes, and they were, they were irregular. They were, they were messed up. They had little, little defects on them. And we pulled a couple of them out and looked at them. And you had to look really close because they looked like they were tightly woven and everything was good. But if you looked really close, you would see that there were imperfections there, that there were irregularities there. And the same is true for you and I. We may look pretty good on the outside. We may even be able to function. Those washcloths are going to function fine. Nobody's ever going to notice those little flaws, but they're not perfect. If we were running a, 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 a rag shop and we had to sort out the perfect from the not perfect, guess what? None of them would make it, which is why we got them. And that's what you and I are. We are imperfect because of our sins. 
On the outside, we may look pretty good, but the closer we begin to dig into our heart and look at our lives, the closer we begin to realize the fault that is within us. And there's only one way for that sin to be forgiven. There's only one way for those faults to be, to be wiped away from us. For us to be made new, for us to be made clean, for us to be as white as snow, and it's only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. There is no one else you can look to. There is no one else who can save you. There is no one else who has given their life on the cross, who has been put in the ground and three days later has arisen to conquer the grave, to conquer sin, and has been willing and able to give you the victory over your sin and over death except for Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And if you find fault with Him, there is no hope. But I beg you today, see who Jesus is. Know who Jesus is. And don't leave this place without trusting Him with all your heart, without putting your faith and your trust in Him. Don't leave this place today. I pray that God's tugging on your heart. I pray that you've heard the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that you've seen it in these Scriptures. And I pray today that if you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you won't leave this place until you do. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. And I thank you for these beautiful words, God. And I pray that Jesus Christ has been lifted up in this place. And I pray that, you can, that everyone in this place, dear Lord, can see his love, see his sacrifice. Dear Lord, and I pray that you help us to see our own faults, dear Lord. Sometimes we like to think of ourselves as faultless, but God, we, we are not. We got, our, we got our flaws, dear Lord. We got our struggles. We got our sins. And there's no nice way to put it other than that, God. But dear Lord, we thank you for your son who gave his life on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, dear Lord. And I pray that as we conclude this service today, God, I pray that you would just touch the hearts of each one in here. Maybe there's one that's never accepted Jesus. I pray that today they'd do it. I pray they would open their heart. I pray that they would, that they would acknowledge that truth, accept that truth, admit that truth, that Jesus is your son, that he gave his life on the cross for the forgiveness of sins that he was buried and resurrected three days later, and that he is victorious, and that he wants to share that victory with them. God, I pray that if there's one that's never accepted him, that today in their heart they would, they would do that. They would accept that truth, and that they would follow his example, dear Lord, that they would follow through in baptism as you command, that they would follow through in the way that they live their life. And God, I pray that for any Christian in this room. God, maybe we're the ones that's being a turnoff for some that aren't Christians. Maybe we're not living our, our life right, dear Lord. And I pray that you help us to be a good light for you. Because, God, we don't want to be a bad representative of you. We don't want to be a bad representative of Jesus. And I pray that you help us not to be. And, God, I pray that you would just help us to trust you. I pray that you would help us to follow your example. I pray that you would help us to follow your humility that you showed us in Jesus Christ. And, God, I pray that as we prepare to conclude today, that if there's anything on anybody's heart, dear Lord, that this morning they would give it to you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.